Good morning to each of you. I greet you in Jesus' name. For a message, turn with me to Psalm 103. I'd like to... uh, read these this psalm it's a little lengthy but let's read it together bless the lord o my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name bless the lord o my soul and forget not all his benefits who forgiveth all thine iniquities who healeth all thy diseases who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Many wonderful things to notice here and be blessed by in this psalm. Uh, several verses here that that uh, that stand out uh, to me. I mean, one one thing that it mentions here that stands out about the Lord knowing us in verse fourteen. He knoweth our frame; he remembereth that we are dust. But notice especially verses fifteen and sixteen. That as for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. Emphasizing to us how brief and how quickly our lives pass here on the earth. 
I saw Jeff talking with an old man. I don't know how old he might be. I don't think he knows, but uh, he lives there between, uh, well, he lives in Santa Rosita part of the time and El Nel Naranjo part of the time and with family. But he's a very old man. And uh, for all his years, that is a short time. A person is born, a person lives, and a person passes off the scene. Uh, there are other verses that call that to our attention as well. Job 7, verse 7. Oh, remember that my life is a wind. Psalm 102 and verse 3. For my days are consumed like smoke and my bones are burned as an hearth. And 1 Peter 1, 24. For all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass, the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away. Uh, saying that life is like smoke, like a vapor, like a, like a mist. It's here briefly and then it's gone. As though it were never there. <clears throat> I, I think of that a little more often and, you know, older people naturally, naturally do, but all of us should learn this lesson, should know this, this truth. But what this is saying is that life is quickly gone. And not only are the dead no longer living, but with time they are forgotten. Not by those who knew them and lived with them. None of us will ever forget loved ones that are now uh, resting in their graves. Let me put that a better way. They are, their bodies are resting in the grave. They are resting in a better place. Uh, many of you, probably all of us, uh, I still miss Howard. You know, it's been, uh, that, was, that was in 2000, and, and I still miss him, and, you know, I can feel an ache when I think of, of him and his life cut short, so it seemed. And, uh, but with time, uh, these people will be forgotten, unknown to coming generations. You know, think of this, uh, our generation for for the most part, never knew their great-great-grandparents. There may be a few exceptions. I didn't know my great-grandparents. I remember visiting my great-grandmother. I remember she lived near a house there just, off of, just beside 340. And right close to her house was a, was a house that had white and some kind of dark brown brick, the way I remember it. It was kind of, you know, in a pattern. And it was unusual. I thought I noticed that when I went by. And we, you know, just beyond their house, this house was where this great grandmother lived. But I don't remember her. I, I don't even, I don't remember how she looks. I don't remember how she talked or what she talked about. But uh, I, I can look in books and I can find the names of people that were my ancestors on my dad's side, on my mom's side, uh, and my parents knew them 
well, but I never knew them. But they were real people, just like all of us sitting here. And they, they were born, they were little children, and they grew up and they played and they worked and they loved others and they laughed and they cried. You know, they were just as real as anybody else. They struggled with temptation and sin. They raised their families. They grew older, they died. And my generation doesn't remember that. They were gone like smoke, like a vapor. And we're all here today and we know each other. And uh, you know me, I know you. And But if the Lord tarries 50 or 60, 100 years from now, uh, I'll not be remembered by many people. Uh, 100 years, certainly not. No one will remember me a hundred years from now. I'll just be another name in a genealogy book. Unless I do something remarkable in my few remaining years that get me in a history book or something. But the place thereof shall know it no more. Does that, is that discouraging? Uh, does that make life seem kind of pointless? Name and confess to some wonderings this morning in Sunday school class. Some people have pondered that and found it very discouraging. Uh, one, is, one example is the, the uh, writer of Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon. He, uh, he got discouraged with these things. If you go to uh, Ecclesiastes, the first the first uh, the first chapter. We'll not read all of this, but he said in in verse two, in verses two through eleven, he just says how life is vanity, all is vanity, and it's meaningless and empty. Generations come and go, and there's sunrise and sunsets, and they just repeat themselves over and over and over again. It just keeps on going. The wind goes this way, and the wind goes that way, and who knows where. And History just repeats itself, he says, nothing new. In verse 11, he says that there is no remembrance of former things, that the past is already forgotten. And neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come, that are to come with those that shall come after. And there are things that are happening now and things that will happen in the future that will also be forgotten. And uh, in verses 13 and 14, he tried to figure this all out. And he concluded that everything under the sun is empty and meaningless. And in verse 18, the last verse in that chapter, for in much wisdom is much grief. And he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. Like, the more he learned, the more grim and hopeless things looked, the more discouraging things were to him. So in chapter 2, <clears throat> he tried to, he says how he tried to find meaning and lasting fulfillment uh, in life. He tried pleasure, that was futile, that didn't work. He tried wine. 
In verse 3, he tried possessions. In verse 4, he built huge palaces. He had beautiful vineyards and, and groves of fruit trees. He had many slaves and servants. He had gold and silver in abundance. And in the end, uh, those possessions didn't satisfy. He tried music and singers and instruments. It was interesting, but that didn't fulfill, wasn't the answer. And in verse 11, he says, when he looked at all he had accomplished, it was empty and meaningless, like chasing the wind, he said. So he turned to more learning and education and wisdom. And he realized that was meaningless, too, for both the wise and the foolish are going to die and be forgotten, he says. In verses 17 through 21, he found that if he worked and had new and great projects that he finished, that was empty and that was meaningless. And beyond that, what he produced, what he built, would be left to others who hadn't worked for it and who may not appreciate it and just take it for granted and maybe not even handle it wisely. It seemed unfair. It seemed empty and meaningless. In chapter 9, in verses 5 and 6, he says that the dead are no longer remembered. They're forgotten, just like we saw in Psalm. And that whatever they did is finished, done. They no longer have any part in the goings-on of life and people. Then he makes further additional uh, observations about inequalities and injustices that, that further uh, make his case for that life is empty and meaningless. And it was depressing to him. It was discouraging to him. And it's depressing and discouraging to people now that, that think that way. And there's a reason that Solomon had come to take such a dim view of life. And his view had become under the sun. He talks about under the sun, all his vanity under the sun. Well, his perspective was under the sun too. <clears throat> it had to do only with earth and little, little about heaven and about God. And that is when things can become very empty and meaningless and drives people to to drinking. It drives people to suicide and uh, just can't just can't handle it. Now it is true as the psalmist wrote, like we saw there in Psalm 103, that as for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth, for the wind passeth over it. And it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But it doesn't have to be vanity. Those years, that slot of time, does not have to be vanity. It doesn't have to be unfulfilling and unfruitful because, praise the Lord, there is another perspective. And that is uh, a heavenly perspective. It is God's perspective, and it includes God. And what a difference that makes in how we look at this little time we have here. 
And we can take heart and we can notice this encouragement all in Psalm 103 and many other places where it shows us how God is involved with man and with his children. In verse 3, we saw that God is one who forgives iniquities and heals diseases. Incidentally, that reminds me, just as a matter of encouragement, and all of you have had dramatic, I'm sure, answers to prayer, but uh, Jorge, George, there at the uh, at that meeting, uh, gave a testimony uh, about answered prayer. And he said years before he had a daughter that was very, that was very sick. Uh, she couldn't walk. Uh, I don't know whether there's something wrong with her legs. Maybe you know, Delvin. And uh, I, I think they were, the way I remember, the way I understood, they weren't sure if she was going to, how long she was going to live. And she was three years old. I think I said that. But he, uh, he picked her up. And he carried her upstairs and laid her on her bed. And he prayed for her. He prayed the way I remember the prayer. He, he prayed for, uh, for her healing. Uh, or if God would choose not to, that he could take her home. And uh, it wasn't long afterwards that somebody came knocking on the door. And she got up and ran to see who was there. She was better. Very very dramatic. It, you could tell it really blessed him. I don't know how many years ago that was. And it's possible I missed something, some detail in the, in the story through the translation or something, but that's the way I remember it. So the Lord can heal. The Lord in verse 4 redeems from destruction. And crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. And he satisfies with good things. He renews like the eagles. He renews us with energy and fervor and the strength of grace. And he does righteously and fairly. And by his words to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel, he said that man can see the character of God. And we know he tells us that God is merciful and plenteous in mercy. And he doesn't keep his anger forever. He hasn't treated us as we deserve to be treated. His mercy is great. He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, in verse 12. He pities his children like a father. In verse 17, his mercy is everlasting. And God is sovereign, in verse 19. His kingdom ruleth over all. How rich we are, we who know him. How wonderful that is what a, what a different perspective life has when we know God and we know that we're his children and his servants. <clears throat> Several points I want to make here as we wrap this up. 
point one, uh, with, with a heavenly perspective, we know that while we may be forgotten here on earth like the psalmist, like, like uh, Solomon pointed out, we are never forgotten by God. We're never forgotten by God. Our God is from everlasting to everlasting, we see in verse 17. And so is his mercy, and so is his loving kindness. So is his knowledge and his memory of each person. God knew us before we ever were. Uh, Psalm 139. Uh, Thine eyes did see my substance. Uh, and so forth, when as yet there was none of them. Before we ever existed, God knew us. And God knows us now. Uh, Thou compassest my path, from Psalm 139 again, and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. He's all around us. God knows us now. And God will remember us after the world is no more. Marvel not at this from John 5, verse 28. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. God will not forget a single person. He knows us. He knew us before we arrived. He knows us now and he will remember us after the world is no more. And every spot between. Point number two, we can know that God is good. God is on the side of man. God wants every one of you, me, and every one of you to find salvation full and free and to come and join him in heaven sometime. He wants what is good for man. And this psalm has impressed us with that. And he provided salvation for us so that we could experience those good things of him and can have a joyful and fulfilling life here, not an empty and discouraging and depressing one. Point number three we can know there is a purpose for us being here, this slot of time, uh, regardless how brief or long it is in terms of years, that there is a purpose for our being here. Uh, there at headquarters, there was a, a couple visiting their daughter, <coughs> and Raymond, the, the husband and father, was in, is in a wheelchair. Uh, when he was 55 years old, he had a stroke, a serious stroke, and and um, he's made considerable progress since then. He he can walk very slowly with uh, with uh, cane or crutches, I forget which, some help anyway. But a lot of the time he spends in a wheelchair. It's hard for him to talk. He understands clearly what people say to him. Uh, but sometimes it's frustrating for him to try to express himself. And he'll smile and shake his head And if I misunderstood what he said. 
And he'll pull out his a pad of paper out of his pocket and his pen and lay it on his knee. His other arm doesn't work very well. And so he kind of, things kind of wobble around. But, you know, he can't do what he could do when he was 54. And, yeah, he he had been out at Santa Rosita uh, just before this stroke. And uh, which has been what eight years ago, I think. And uh, he was hammering around with a digging iron, is is what they think happened. He was uh, slamming around with a digging iron, trying to loosen up some ground. And about a week later, after he's back home, he had this stroke, and the and the doctor figured that he it it did damage to his carotid arteries. What happened and something got loose in his neck and went up in his head. But you know, uh, what I was pointing out there is that um, a person like that can just feel useless. They're stalled. And he was an active man, had a business, and and um, from what I understand, there were some things maybe he needed to learn, too. That, But he is a cheerful man today, and he... Uh, I ask him uh, if he prays a lot uh, with so much time on his hand. He nodded his head vigorously that that's one thing that he can do. And he prays a lot. You know, that man is fulfilling a mission. Somebody has to help him uh, with many things. But he has a purpose. My dad has a purpose, too. I know he uh, walks slowly and can't farm like he used to do, but he's making a real and an important contribution. And, um, and every one of us, as long as we're here, we have a, we have a purpose. <clears throat> uh, point number four ties in with our, with our lesson this morning, and that is just that we know that there is a future beyond life here. We know there's judgment. We know there's heaven. And uh, we can comfort one another with these words as Christians that Christ is coming, that Christ is coming. It's for sure and it's certain. He has gone to prepare a place for us and he's coming again to receive us unto himself. So we need to uh, we need to take care of that of that vision of that truth of that relationship with our heavenly Father. You know, when I think about Solomon and his beginning and his end, it's a good lesson for us. But it is a pattern that many people have tracked and followed. When he was first uh, made king, God appeared to him at Gibeon and humble Solomon, brand new king, feeling the load of all this new responsibility under his crown. And he said to God, I am but a little child. I'm inadequate for this responsibility. And I really need you, God. And God promised to give him wisdom. And God did give him wisdom. 
And when the temple was dedicated in 1 Kings 8, uh, God appeared to Solomon again, as he had at Gibeon. And he said, if you're faithful like your father David, then there will be blessing on your life. If not, then trouble will come. In uh, chapter 9, the last half of the chapter lists quite a number of accomplishments of Solomon. The, uh, in chapter 10, it, it uh, records the admiration of foreign dignitaries that came to visit and how wealthy he was. In chapter 10, it says that he made silver to be in Jerusalem like, like gravel. It was just so such an abundance of it. Uh, it was like stones. But in chapter 11, it mentions his many uh, foreign wives that came into his life. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. God had warned the children of Israel about such uh, influences that they will turn your hearts. And that has happened to many good men. It's happened the reverse too. But uh, in, in chapter 11 and verse 4, it says that Solomon's heart was turned away from God. That is, uh, that is sad. And God was angry. God was disappointed. God was angry at, at him. But he was not helplessly overpowered. But he was not vigilant. That's important. He made compromising choices. That's a mistake. He ignored warnings. That's unwise. Warnings from God, from prophets. He forsook God's way. That's a sure, a sure path to disaster. And he pursued false and evil things. And he lost his connection with God, his relationship with God. He lost that heavenly perspective. Life became a vanity, a grief, a despair to him. John wrote to us in 1 John chapter 2, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away. And anyone who puts the world first is not only going to miss the blessing and fulfillment of being God's child, but they are going to lose uh, in eternity. If we're devoted to the things that are going to burn up, then we are going to suffer severe loss short of repentance. It's time to, <clears throat> time to close. But uh, <clears throat> the time that we have here, short as it is, and though we are forgotten, we're not forgotten by God, by our good God who loves us 
and who has a purpose for us being here. And part of that purpose is to be um, to be a fountain, not only to be a living Christian, but to be a fountain of life. And if we are uh, a real, a genuine Christian, through whom God can work, through whom God can bless others, though we're forgotten in a hundred years, our our influence and our effect will go on and could affect the direction of people who've never heard our name. May God help us to um, to live as people who know God and know the future and are living uh, in a way that will bless others and help others to the heavenly perspective. Shall we have a closing song?